Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm summertime, less fun time, guest bailiff, Monty Belmonte, filling in for the actual bailiff, Jesse Thorne. We are in chambers this week to clear the docket. And now, the Webby Award-winning host of the Judge John Hodgman Podcast, Judge John Hodgman. What a thrill it was, Judge John Hodgman, when you included me in that tweet to tell me that this podcast had won a Webby, and then I go online and watch the Zoom Webby Awards, and there is none other than Monica Lewinsky giving you the award. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was fantastic. Yeah, Monty, thank you. Uh, that, that I did not predict. I did not know that Monica Lewinsky would be virtually presenting me with the Webby Award, but... The name of the show is Judge John Hodgman, but as you know, Monty, there are a lot of people on Team Judge John Hodgman. Obviously, Bailiff Jesse Thorne can't be with us today. Obviously, you, Monty Belmonte, and Gene Gray, and all the other great guest bailiffs over time. Of course, Jennifer Marmer. I can see you guys. We're in this new this is era weird. where, yeah, where we're podcasting and we can see each other. We could have been doing this the whole time. I know. But I see Monty, you're, you're up there in Northampton, Massachusetts. Well, Turner's Falls, right? Right. It reminds me of when we would do this in the studios of WRSI. That's right. And we could, could see, see each, each other. other. And that was really fun. And you're, and you're sporting, I noticed, your Wagon Wheel uh, t-shirt. The Wagon Wheel being a great, uh, a great drive-in restaurant and ice cream place up there in Gill, Massachusetts. How's the Wagon Wheel doing, Monty? Doing takeout. Ice cream. Doing takeout. Yep. They're yep. figuring out how to do it as safely as they can. They weren't one of the first adopters of the new model of eating out, but they uh, have made that transition and it's going great, I, as far as I know. It's too crowded for me to go there most of the time, so I guess that's a good sign. And you're still brought... First of all, they make a very good black bean burger. Yes. I'll tell you that. And they make their ec- excellent homemade ice cream. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, how are things up there at uh, WRSI, the river, 93.9, the river in Northampton? Are you still spinning the wheels of steel every morning, given the news? I am. And it has become this strange dystopian future that I've read so much about um, in years previous, where I continue to wake up at two o'clock in the morning, continue to go, go in and do my show. And now people's listening habits have changed. And also people have, uh, really made it well known how important having this kind of communal campfire of a radio, how mm-hmm. important that is to them in a time like this. And I've adapted to that and changed the way that I do the show. I'm doing a lot more call-in slash request type stuff. I develop these quarant themes like every day of the week to help remind us what day of the week it is. Has yeah, that's, a, the hard, that's one of the hard ones. So it's like, Michigas Monday, where I play like a lot of Weird Al stuff, and then it's like Tear It Up Tuesday, a punk and soul dance party, and then like it goes on from there. Where uh, it's a, a gravitational force that I think people are used to, and usually our slogan is "Different is good," but we've kind of jokingly said "Same is good" in the midst of all this, where it's like it it gives people this sense of familiarity and community. Right. When they can't right. have that in the same way that they've been experiencing it previously. You don't do weekends, right? You're only Monday through Friday. Only when I have to, yeah. So you can't do ska today. Well. The all-day ska programming. 
If you want to do it with me on one of these days in the stay-at-home order, John Hodgman, I would do Scotter Day with you. As I'm somebody a, who I'm went to go that... see the Mighty Mighty Bostones at every opportunity I could at an under-18 right. show when I was a kid, I, yeah, let's do I'm it. afraid 24 hours of Scott would push even Northampton over the edge. I think probably. And there's... Jennifer Marmer, super producer Jennifer Marmer, up top, silent as always. Or are you look? Are you hooked up to your mic? I can't remember now. She's muted. Nope, I silent. <laughs> Purely <laughs> muted. You're wearing you're wearing a, a lovely linen shirt. You mentioned. And speaking of the news, of course, uh, we recorded this a week ago. This is coming out June tenth, twenty twenty. And of course, a, a week ago, we were in the midst of uh, now several nights of coast to coast. Um, uh, protests against uh, police violence, uh, specifically against people of color, spe- specifically black people in this country and around the world. And um, it's upsetting. Uh, and uh, we're not going to dwell on it dramatically in this uh, episode. And who knows what the situation will look like when you actually hear the sound of our voices. But I have been sharing uh, a couple of links that you might find useful and we'll have links for them in the show page at MaximumFun.org and on the Judge John Hodgman Instagram. One is uh, I created a custom bit link for it. I didn't make it up. It's bit.ly slash get your friends, all capital letters, get your friends. And that's just a link to a Rolling Stone compilation of links to various. It's a really, uh, I mean, I just happened to find it on Rolling Stone, a really great collection of links to various bail funds, various local protester support organizations, uh, various policing reform organizations, including Reclaim the Block in uh, Minneapolis. Um, And there are places that you can donate money to if you have the means to do so. Uh, And they're also offering lots of opportunities to um, support uh, those organizations in other ways. It's important that we all be part of this struggle one way or the other. And as well, another link that I've been handing out is a link to uh, on on Medium that came, came out uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 75 Things White People Can Do for Racial Justice. This was put up uh, on Medium by Corinne Shutak. And it's an incredibly thoughtful list about all sorts of, if you are a, a non-non-white person, let's to say a white person, uh, and you want to support and get engaged and be and make anti-racism part of your life, um, lots and lots of concrete ideas of how of books you can read, activism that you can train in, and organizations you can reach out to. Um, and I, it's, it's a lot of valuable stuff. So... That said, I just wanted to put that out there before we move and settle some really petty, silly disputes, because like all of us, we deserve from time to time just to wear, what are you wearing, Jennifer Marmer? Just a simple linen top for yourself? Yeah. We all need to wear a simple linen top for ourselves sometimes. Take a little break and, and wrap our minds around the bad ideas of weird dads and what things are sandwiches and what aren't sandwiches. And in this episode, truly one of the most puzzling conundrums about playing the game of 20 questions that I've ever come across. So summertime guest bailiff, Monty Belmonte, why don't you start us off? 
Speaking of sandwiches, which I think you are now the arbiter of everything sandwich-oriented, here's something from Katie May. I wish that if only that were true. <laughs> You're if the mayor of Sandwich, Massachusetts, which is not hot dog Massachusetts. No, I am not. I am not. I'm not the mayor. I'm not even the the, the select person. You're the judge of, of Sandwich, Massachusetts. No. <laughs> yeah, there is a town in Massachusetts called Sandwich. I forgot that. No, the, I wish I wish I could get the BLT to the city in Sandwich, Massachusetts, but I am not so honored. It is still the debate over the sandwichness of hot dogs continues, even though I fully settled it on this podcast years ago. Bit.ly slash JJ Hot Dog. <laughs> <laughs> J-J-H-O-T-D-O-G, all capital letters, if you want to hear my final ruling on why a hot dog is not a sandwich. But I do love sandwiches, and I love thinking about it and talking about them. So tell me, what's the dispute? This comes from Katie May. She has a dispute with her husband about sandwich making. And she says, one of us thinks mayo and lettuce go on the sandwich before grilling. The other thinks hot mayo and wilted lettuce are an affront to all that is holy. Please help. And you have asked for clarification on what type of sandwiches are in question. And Katie May said, yeah. I'm a vegetarian. So for me, it's cheese and veggies. For him, it sometimes includes sliced ham or turkey. So I also dug a little deeper into this question with Katie May and determined that the grilling they're talking about, Monty, for your for your clarification, because I want your take on this. Okay. I, I, I believe it is a panini press. Not grilling. Well, in New England, a grill a grilled cheese is not something that's been pressed in a panini. Oh yeah, it's been something that's been buttered on both sides and and you know cooked in a skillet. You know what I mean? Right. But this is a panini press situation. And would you put mayonnaise on a panini that you are grilling? And would you put lettuce on a panini you are grilling? Mm. And while I can see you. And I can see the utter disdain on your face. I'm, I will remind you, this is a audio-only audio-only court. Um, absolutely not. I am yeah. a huge proponent of mayonnaise. I well, you want to put mayonnaise on your cereal? I'm going right. to back you on that. We're two white guys from New England. Of yeah, course. we are mayonnaise. mayonnaise we are the living embodiment. You are what you eat, and we are mayonnaise. Maybe I am Hellman's because you reach for the Hellman's, you reach for the best. There's very. <laughs> Very little distinction from my midsection right now and and what it looks like when you open a fresh jar of Hellman's, that little, that pasty white swirl right. of fresh mayonnaise. If you could take the mayonnaise jar and burn a very small portion of the back of it, that's how I look right now because I went and sat by the Connecticut River over the weekend. So I'm like burned mayonnaise. You're saying mayonnaise burns red like your skin? No, it doesn't. But, you know, yeah, no analogy you can so. take. So far, at any rate, All right. you love you, you love mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Put mayonnaise on things, yes. Not before grilling, no. Right, there shouldn't. So, if you're making a panini, mayonnaise should not never be a part of it. Right. I question whether you should call it that grilling in the first place. Like, I give you mm-hmm. grilled cheese, but if you told me you were going to make a grilled, like turkey sandwich, immediately I would think like, oh, you're going to put it on an open flame, on Who would like ever do a, that? a back. I don't know. You're making up a new thing. All right. Nobody, nobody puts turkey, turkey sandwiches. Putting it on a putting it on a grill. No. 
But you would never do that. Monty. No, I wouldn't. But I gr- I do grill a lot. Like I grill everything on an actual flame grill in my in my backyard. And then yet at mm-hmm. the same time, my children make grilled cheeses, and I I never do that. Just as east of the Mississippi, Hellman's mayonnaise is called Hellman's mayonnaise, and west of the Mississippi, it is called Best Foods. Oh, you know Jennifer Marmer nodding in solemn assent. Nice to know to that this. Knowledge. So there is still regionalism within this country. So some people will say grilled cheese when others would say toasted cheese for something that is cooked in a skillet. And I am perfectly willing to allow Katie May and her husband to call panini grilling grilling. Okay. Panini pressing grilling. Just so long as they do not call grilling barbecue. In which case, get off my podcast. Absolutely. Okay. So you say no. Katie May is right. Husband is wrong. Yes. But if you want to put mayonnaise on it after the fact, I'm not going to stand in your way. But how are you going to do that if you're grilling cheese into the panini? If you, you see if, what I if mean? you love mayonnaise so much that you want to put it on the top of the <laughs> the grilled panini. Right. Again, I'm not I'm not going to stand in your way here. All right. So here's a solution. And I, uh, again, I'm I'm not making a ruling yet. Okay. But if if you wish, Katie May's husband, if you want to follow the Monty Belmonte way and you are making a sliced ham or turkey panini and you're adding cheese to it, because why wouldn't you if you're grill if you're putting anything in a panini? Come on. You don't even need to grill it if you're not putting cheese on it. Right. But you have to keep one of the sides of the panini uncheesed so that it so that you can take off that bread and add fresh, cool Monty Belmonte style cold mayonnaise. What about the this? The hot, hot, and the cool, cool. What if yeah. you grill the whole sandwich, both sides? Again, I use grilling loosely here. And then you have, you've made your own fake aioli, which means mayonnaise that you bought at a store and yeah. truffled olive oil that you bought at a store. Oh. And then you dip the grilled sandwich into a bowl of the cold mayonnaise and truffled aioli. And then you bite it, and then maybe I want that sandwich. How about this? This is called the the John Hodgman special. How about you make a ham and cheese sandwich, get a bowl of cold mayonnaise, throw the sandwich away, and just get a spoon and eat that mayonnaise? I think it just a lot of people just threw up. Nope. Not this person, because you <laughs> are what you eat. I have to send a message to my wife because there was a panini, there was a legit panini that we had in a foreign country that blew our minds and I, and I want I want to know whether it had mayonnaise on it or not what was in that panini we liked so much did it have mayonnaise I'll let you, I'll let you know what was in that it was a little tease a little podcast tease yeah. stay tuned if you want to know what was in the panini you'll have to listen to the end of the podcast and also have you tried this timeshare in the Cape of Cod? We don't have, we're not doing any timeshare ads. Okay, Monty. fine. I don't know what's going on there. At WRSI, no timeshare, no timeshare. <laughs> we're really scraping right. the bottom of the battle. For here's here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say, Monty. Okay. I agree with you. 99.99999%. Okay. But you have overlooked one of the greatest sandwiches in the world that specifically involves hot mayonnaise tuna melt damn 
Okay. Tune them out. Can I say that? Yeah, you can say damn. Okay. These are challenging times. We need to be able to express ourselves. Damn, you're right. Hot tuna. Tuna, hot tuna is a band, is also an ingredient in a tuna melt. And how does it get hot? You grill it. And it's, there's mayonnaise in there, man. There's mayonnaise in that, in that tuna. Do you like a, t- a tuna melt or what you would call a tuna melt? Tuna melt? I do. Maybe the, your ruling should say that like if they would like to hot grill mayonnaise with turkey, that they have to then start a commensurate band. With the same name. <laughs> so like, we're the new band, Hot Turkey. Hot Turkey. Yeah, no. I don't want to hear Katie Mays and her husband's band, Hot Turkey. No. I just want them to enjoy themselves. You're right. Um, yeah, I I have to say that while I agree with Katie May that grilling either in a panini or skillet environment, lettuce in a sandwich is gross. Yeah. I would admit mayonnaise on a grilled sandwich. Okay. Seems fair. The other day, I I grilled a sandwich, one of the classic grilled sandwiches, or what we say, pressed sandwiches. Mm. I, I did a, I I did a, that. Cubano, a Cubano sandwich, which is a cl- the classic South Florida sandwich of roast pork, ham, Swiss cheese, mustard, pickles. And I I pressed that because I don't have a sandwich press. I put it in a skillet and I put a piece of parchment paper on top and I slammed a cast iron pan on top of that and then I put a kettle full of water on it. <laughs> I love it. And it worked really well. And you know, you know what I also did? I added mayonnaise. When it was grilling? Yeah. Wow. And you know what? It, you know what? It worked. Worked good. I don't mind hot mayonnaise. I get you. If it's not for you, Katie May, that's fine. But I think that there is, I think the tuna melt invalidates your argument that it is never allowable. One more thing before we move on with regard to the grilling of sandwiches, which during a pandemic uh, stay at home, I have been doing a lot of, obviously, and thinking a lot about sandwiches. Do you know the trick, Monty? Of making a grilled cheese with mayonnaise instead of butter? No. Yeah, Jennifer Marmer is nodding her head. Well, well, well. No, knowingly. My children grill a lot of cheeses. So I'm yeah. eager to hear this. I think I picked this up from Ken Reed, also a Massachusettsian, host of the TV Guidance Counselor podcast. But there is a tradition, and perhaps it's a New England one, or perhaps he picked it up just from the internet. Of instead of taking your bread and and putting butter on the exterior of the bread and then grilling it with your cheese in a in a pan, use mayonnaise instead, and it browns really well, and it tastes it does not taste mayonnaisey, it tastes super crispy. Wow! When you get that out, so instead of butter, you just put mayonnaise yeah. in the pan. Yeah, it seems very easy. It seems dangerous for somebody who hasn't tried it. No, but I'm willing no. to take that risk. You want to heat up the pan for a while at low heat. And then I know normally you would put a, a big lob of butter in there and it would sizzle around. And you yeah, put you know how butter is going to react in there. What's going to happen if I put mayonnaise in here? Yes. No, Am I going to set the house doing. on fire? Whoa, 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 Monty, calm down. 
Heat up your th- heat up your pan. Okay. Low, you know, low to medium heat. Mm-hmm. Get it reasonably hot. It's clean. Take your piece of bread. You mayonnaise one side of it. Put it mayonnaise side down in the pan. Put your cheese on that bread. Mayonnaise another slice of bread. Put that mayonnaise size up and walk away. And then come back, flip it. You're, you're done. Oh, one last thing. Can this podcast be five hours long and only about mayonnaise, Jennifer? Yes. I learned this. Speaking of Team Judge John Hodgman. Yeah. From expert witness, Kenji Lopez-Alt, the great, the great food writer, the author of Food Lab. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got recipes all over the place. This is the, this is the guy who in- invented the concept of the reverse sear steak. You know what that is, Monty? No, but this is a cooking podcast now, so I'm all ears. Go, no, you have to go back and listen to uh, Judge John Hodgman verdict number 465. Licorice adjacent flavor. That's a good one. Kenji okay. Lopez-Alt. Really, really smart science-based food writer, but not like wonky science, not pure science. Like he has fun. He mixes things up. And speaking of mixing things up and speaking of mayonnaise and speaking of, of hot, Kenji Lopez-Alt has a recipe for chicken breasts marinated in chimichurri, which is a parsley, uh, garlic, onion, olive oil sort of pesto that is used as a steak seasoning in Argentina and ma- and mayonnaise. That's it. Go find this recipe because it has changed my life. Is it on the podcast? No, that's not on that podcast, but it's on, it's on the internet. I've, I discovered it since we recorded. Kenji Lopez Alt held that back from me. Damn him. Which I consider to be a crime. You pound your chicken breast into the quarter inch, even thickness. You get your chimichurri, you whip it up. Then you take like a quarter cup of mayonnaise, whip that into it, and then you just let it sit in that mayonnaise garlicky, parsley marinade for like up to an hour or a day. And then you just pull it out of there. You don't do anything. You just throw that right on the grill. You know, whatever. Three, three five minutes total, depending on the, th- the thickness. Maybe six. I've never had a better food, almost, pretty much. And I, you know what it's all thanks to? mayonnaise if you don't like mayonnaise don't send me letters what did i say okay so katie may hot mayonnaise okay hot lettuce no good maddie says my husband nick and i just bought a house next door to a church with a public wi-fi network nick wants to use the church's network instead of purchasing our own wi-fi i'll also add we've been splitting the cost of wi-fi with various neighbors for almost seven years so we have never owned our own Wi-Fi. I believe that what Nick wants to do is stealing. It's time for us to be adults and have our own network. I ask that you issue an injunction against Nick's use of the public church Wi-Fi. Monty, I just want you and the listeners to know that I have received the information back from my wife with regard Uh, to the Panino that we had. Panino, good use of Italian. That's Hodgman. right, because it's, it's one panino. It's many panini. One graffito, many right. graffiti. And it was one of the greatest sandwiches I ever had in my life, and I will reveal the details after the break. But first, <laughs> here's what I have to say to Maddie. Uh, Monty, what do you think? I think um, 
given a pandemic, you can steal the Wi-Fi until the pandemic is over. And Whoa. then you need to get back to real life and be a grown-up. Right now, we are in... We are in, like, beyond Thunderdome land right now. So it's, like, every person for themselves and also Tina Turner. No. No, Monty, no. Okay, no. So that's why I'm the bailiff. It's not every person for themselves. We have to be together on this. Oh, yeah, right. We're all in this together. Even yeah, this, yeah. Isn't, this isn't barter town. Okay. All right. You know, this is this is like... Two men enter, to... one man leaves. No, it's not... That's not a... it? I've it's been not operating beyond the Thunderdome principles this whole time. What has been happening in Northampton? <laughs> no wonder you're wearing that that suit of armor made of chicken bones and a and a and a weird doll's mask. Have you become a lawless raider up there in Northampton? Yes, it's not the one I remembered. You know, these are difficult times. It's all about doing our best practices, wearing our masks, keeping our distance, following the science news. Learning about anti-racism, supporting each other. It's not about all getting as much free Wi-Fi as you can, Monty. But here's the thing. Nobody's going to church right now. So when people start no. going back to the church, then yes, you need to get your own Wi-Fi. But right now... See, look, you're counting on a return to normalcy of some kind. What I'm saying is... We need to forge a new, better normal together based on principles. All right. Now, if you want to eat <laughs> three tuna melts a day. With mayo. That's your business. <laughs> Self-care. And I understand your argument that no one's at that church right now. The Wi-Fi is just sitting there. It's pooling. It's pooling around the pews. They've right. Got, they've got it wants more than they to could be use. used. Yeah. And maybe the church doesn't mind if you use that Wi-Fi. It's church. Right. But there's a very easy way to find out, and that's to ask the church. Not hack the church? Ask. Don't hack the church. Ask the church. The password is Jesus, because I read a bumper sticker that says Jesus is the answer. So if you're looking for the Wi-Fi password, oh. Jesus is the answer. No. Here's, here's the thing, Maddie and Nick. Maddie knows what's right. This is the parable of the soda fountain. This has come up on Judge John Hodgman many a time, and it shall come up many a time again. It is one of the great teaching tools in the liturgy of the Church of Judge John Hodgman. Monty, two pilgrims go... I mean, this, this is happening in olden times, right? Because people could go to restaurants then. Right. Two pilgrims go to... An In-N-Out burger in California. There is a soda fountain there offering low these many sodas. And then there is a button for water. And then there is a button for seltzer. Is it acceptable to fill up your cup with seltzer or water without paying for it? Because after all, saith one pilgrim, the cost incurred by the in and out is the soda syrup, your doctor's pepper, your Cokes and cherries, and all of the rest. And lo, Judge John Hodgman saith unto the pilgrim, maybe it depends. Just ask them. 
Don't ask me. I don't run an in and out. There are more costs associated than you think of in a soda fountain than just the cost of the syrup. There is electricity, there is maintenance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it's just water or just seltzer water. And maybe they're like, go for it. Maybe they're like, here's a cup for you to filleth and slaketh your thirst from my soda fountain with just plain seltzer, if you wish. For I am a good Samaritan. Or maybe they will say, no, but you can buy a cup for a dollar and have as many free refills as you want or whatever. The lesson of the parable of the soda fountain, Monty, is that there is no reason to talk yourself into taking something that you want for free when the proper thing to do is to simply ask. There is no reason to come up with a system or a scheme or an explanation as to why it is okay to take a thing for free when the avenue is available to you to simply ask and be told yes or no, especially if the answer is probably yes. It's church. You'd probably say fine. Being a grown-up, Maddie, I appreciate that you're wanting to grow up, Maddie, but being a grown-up does not mean buying your own Wi-Fi. A lot of people try to define grown-upness by the fact that they can buy stuff. Like, I'm a grown-up because I bought a car. No, being a grown-up means not being a sneak, not trying to cheat the system, means going up to the people in your world and say, may I have this for free? And if they say, no, no, it's mine, then you go, oh, I get it. No problem. Thought I'd ask. We're trying to have a civilization here. We're trying. We're trying really hard. And part of this time is having conversations that are not always comfortable face-to-face -face with our neighbors. And to a lot of people, including me, having a simple face-to-face -face conversation such as, may I steal Wi-Fi here, can feel a little like uh, hard to do. But I'm telling you, the more you go up to the people in your world, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background is, and just have the conversation you need to have, even if it does not end with the result that you want, even if they tell you things that are hard for you to hear, you grow as a person from having direct contact with other people at a safe distance. That's the other complicating factor. Don't go the way of Northampton. <laughs> Don't fall into a dystopian Thunderdome Fury Road type situation like Northampton, Massachusetts. Now let's move on, Monty, because I know you got you you're you're taking a, a run down the Fury Road to the gas farm later. So Let's take a quick break. More items on the docket coming up in just a minute on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org. Dot org slash join.
The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad. And I got one for my mother-in-law. And it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up, seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. This week, we're clearing the docket. And Leslie says, my partner spends a lot of time listening to comedy podcast like yours. And I will add the Webby Award winning Judge John Hodgman podcast and laughing hysterically. While it's a minor annoyance at home, it's become a point of debate in public. I've shushed his cackling on every form of transportation imaginable. Cross-country flights, overnight bus rides in foreign countries, quiet train cars, the list goes on. Am I right that he needs to clam up and stop embarrassing me? Or is this acceptable behavior that I just happen to find annoying? How do you tell your loving partner of six years that his face is cute, but not when hyena sounds come out of it? I'm seeking an injunction to end this behavior for good and save hundreds of innocent people from disruptive giggles. 
<laughs> Is he have, laughing like that, do you think? Is I it a think, villain laugh? I imagine he's laughing like me, and I have a Wicked Witch of the West laugh. Like, really? There are people that can recognize me no matter what the circumstances because they hear this <laughs> kind of cackle. Wow. And that's like my my legitimate laugh. And there's another oh, person God. that I know that has a very similar laugh. And so we have actually been confused in public spheres because our cackles are so similar. I don't like that, Monty. That, that brought me right back to when Wizard of Oz was on television <laughs> once a year. Stop it. You know, what are you going to do? You, I feel like Monty's, you, I can see you, but I still, in my mind's eye, I'm picturing you on top of a, a thatched hut throwing fireballs at me, trying to set me on fire like a scarecrow. That's, I don't like that. It's scary. Which is more, I'm going to answer Leslie's question in a second, because we actually do have a recording of her partner's laugh. I think we'll, I think we'll make a lot of difference. Okay. But when it comes to traumatic childhood movies which is worse wizard of oz or watership down the Wiz or the what i know for you it's watership down because literally anytime i see a picture from watership down on social media i know it is john hodgman that has posted i'm talking about the anime the animated film from 1979 or so not the Netflix remake, which I have not seen because it seems unnecessary. But if people like it, let me know. If you're of an age to know what movies I'm talking about, tell us in the in the Reddit, the Judge John Hodgman Reddit discussion for this episode, which was more traumatic for you as a child of the of the 70s and 80s, The Wizard of Oz, Watership Down, or the miniseries I Claudius? All right, now. Oh. I thought you loved that one. I just assumed because I do, podcast, I do, but. I do. But but if you're a kid who accidentally watches it, right? It's it's got some heavy stuff. It's got some. It's, it's intense, intense scenes. All right. I don't want you ever to laugh that way at me ever again, Monty. But can I stop you from laughing that way? That's the crux of this issue. I don't like it. But do I? Even if I were your partner, your romantic partner in life, your your husband which would be a, a lovely outcome to an alternate timeline. Absolutely. Would I have the right to say that that laugh, because it scares me so much, causes me damages that you must not do it? Is it that disruptive? Because that's really what this comes down to. In many ways, you know, the, Leslie sent this in, obviously, when travel was still a possibility. Right. When ideas like... Um, you know, cross-country flights and overnight bus rides in foreign countries and quiet train cars. Boy, boy, oh boy. Who, who, who's, Le- who's Leslie? Hercule Poirot? Planes, trains, and automobiles? Solving... Anyway. Everywhere. Everywhere they go together, Leslie's partner laughs. But that's all done now. However, we are working together. Face-to-face, person-to-person. Safely to build a new and better normal? And will Leslie's partner's laugh be part of that new normal? Let's take a listen. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we'll listen to it one more time. 
Now, see, that laugh does not scare or disturb me. It's it's loud. I'll give it that. But what I find the laugh is not the problem. It's the weird under mutter. Did you hear that? I'll do my imitation of Leslie's partner. That was the non-laughing, but weird kind of like talking to yourself kind of thing that gave it a, a kind of Joker style menace. Monty, if you were on, I don't know, a cross country flight, an overnight bus ride in a foreign country or a quiet train car. And Leslie's partner was over there with earbuds in making that noise. How would you feel? I didn't notice the kind of under murmur, but that now is all of a sudden disturbing to me. And so the out, initial outburst of laughing to me seemed very joyful, but you gave mm-hmm. it a dark twist. And now I can't unhear that under murmur where they right. seem like they have reeled in the legitimate expression of joy. And so I've poisoned, I've poisoned the well, well of your judgment with, yes. with my insight, obviously. So the laugh itself, I'm fine with. You're fine. You would be fine. If you were in a quiet train car or an overnight bus in a foreign country with a guy listening to even the Judge John Hodgman podcast going, <laughs> like, like, like uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd and who framed Roger Rabbit at the oh, end. Yeah. Um, no. no, actually, no. Would not be cool. That would not um, be cool. In, in normal circumstances, like that's like you're at home, you're on a car ride, all of that. I think, yes, let that bubble up and express itself in the way that it will in your body. But you right. do need to know your surroundings. So even when I'm like in bed watching something funny and my wife is sleeping next to me and I know she's sleeping, right. you got to right. reel that in. You got to try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Not I mean, always successful. Perfectly we, honest. We have, we, have had, we have had partners who had difficulties with their partner's sneezes, which you think are an involuntary noise, but you can rein in your sneeze in certain public situations. I can't actually. My children have deemed my sneeze the Hamilton sneeze because it sounds like I'm saying the issue. Like when he says the issue on the table, that is how I sneeze every time. Totally without. You can, you can look, I could, I could stifle it, but I might blow my eardrums out. They're not going to blow your eardrums out. I might. You don't have to laugh like the the Wicked Witch of the West. I do. But I love you and I allow you to do it. Thank you. When you're around friends, Leslie's partner, including Leslie, who frankly, you know, you're you're presumably your partner's best friend, you laugh laugh the way you want. I'm never going to try to stifle laughter, especially not in this time. But when you're in public... Laughing uproariously, especially with a with a creepy undermutter, in a closed cabin of a cross country flight, overnight bus in a foreign country, or tri- quiet train car, is not only impolite, but bear in mind, droplet city. Oh yeah. Listen to something else. Listen to the the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. Listen to a to a novel. Listen to a podcast. 
Listen to So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo. Or listen to Minority Corner on Maximum Fun. That's funny, though. That's can funny, I make, but, can I make a recommendation? Take some time then to think and, and think and not laugh so much. What? Yeah, you can make a recommendation. There's a book called This Book is Anti-Racist, 20 Lessons on How to Wake Up, Take Action, and Do the Work by Tiffany Jewell, who happens to live in Northampton, Massachusetts. And I think it might be an excellent addition to the not laughing out loud and yeah. really taking some important self-assessment in these times when we need to be together apart. Yeah. That's a, that sounds appropriately unhilarious. Right. Or, you know, listen to something just fun and low-key, but not comedic. Unless you can get that laugh under control, Leslie's partner. You have an obligation to people in closed spaces around you who are not Leslie and your close friends. Do not scare them the way that Monty scared me. Sorry. All right, let's move on. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hear a case about the game... 20 questions. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. This week, we're clearing the docket. Here's something from Josh. Okay, here it comes. This is payoff number one of tease number one. Top of the show, I teased... A conundrum regarding 20 questions. At the end of the first third of the show, I teased the best panino I ever had. Here comes payoff one. Stand by for payoff two. Go ahead. You, Anytime you want to do a show on any of our radio stations in Northampton, J- Judge John Hodgman, you're more than welcome. Here is something from wow. Josh. I'm they call s- me Chef Tease of Sandwich, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking up see, them teases. There's a little bit of the cackle right there. I know, I got you. It's fine. But see, you got it under control. Right. I, You're no, a professional. I, I reeled it in. I'm yeah. seeking the judge's wisdom on a semantic... You wouldn't, laugh that, you wouldn't laugh that way on the radio. Oh, I do it all the time. I cry on the laugh. radio. I'm so unprofessional. Well, I know, you cry, I know you cry, but you do the Wicked Witch laugh on the radio? Sometimes. Yeah, you, you reel it in. You let it go for the podcast. You reel it in for the radio. I know you, Monty Belmonte. You're I'm a professional. T- I do my be- best to be professional, but I don't always succeed. All right. Let's hear, let's hear from Josh. I apologize. I'm seeking the judge's wisdom on a semantic issue. My wife and I were playing 20 questions. My answer 
was Amazon River. And my wife asked me, is it on land? And I answered, yes. But that didn't go over very well. How should I have answered? I love this question so much. (laughs) There it is again. Yeah, there it is. That's good. That was good. That wasn't the same as the the one that really scared me where your whole face turned green too. That was weird. Yeah, I know. So he was playing with his wife, 20 questions. The the answer that he had prepped in his mind was the Amazon River. Right. And she's asking like, is it a famous person? No, obviously. Uh, is it a, a fictional character? No, obviously. Is it on land? And then uh, according to my reading of his letter, he had a little question mark after yes. So I feel like, yes? she, I feel like she said, is it on land? And he said, mm, yes. Right. Which frankly, I think in 20 questions is a fairly f- fair, that is to say, playable clue that the answer is not, is a little tricky. And that gives information to the questioner. Yeah. So I think that he played fair, right? If he said yes. Yes. Because then then Josh's wife can start being like, well, wait a minute. How, how can it sort of be on land? And then might get to the point where it's like, oh, is it a body of water? Right? Yes. And then you're off to the races. Then all you have to do is name every river in the world and you're done. Right. And and luckily there there are only 10 of them. So And Amazon ten qu- is going to be the first one that you're going to guess and probably try right. to make an order from in you right. know, an inebriated right. late night uh, decision. <laughs> so anyway, but that still doesn't settle the question. Is it on land? If yes. you were going to answer that question without the question mark, what would you say? Is it on land? <laughs> I have no idea how to answer this question, which is kind of why I is love it. Is the Amazon River on land? I think the only actual answer is the answer that he probably gave in, in his testimony, which is yes. Like Jennifer, Jennifer Marmer, I can see you, but you can't speak. What <laughs> Using only body language. Is he... She, it's she yes. Put her, she put her hands, palms up in the... In the uh, international uh, symbol for either yes or I really don't care. Can we move on? (laughs) Well, now she's drawing her finger across her throat. Kill this segment. No, she's not doing that. One of my favorite 20 question like answers for other people is 20 questions. Yes. So like you have to guess that what I'm thinking of is 20 questions and that causes all sorts of conundrums like this, which is part of the reason I really love this particular question. Like, is it on land? Yes, it is, I guess. Oh, Monty, I'm I'm so glad that I know that (laughs) so I never get tricked into playing the game with you. Woo! You're a little bit younger than me. You're a true child of the 90s. You got meta in your bones. Sorry. The answer, the answer to your 20 questions is 20 questions. Right. The show is the show of the show. This right. is the show of the show. <laughs> Here's the answer. Josh, first of all, I've established played correctly. But if you want, and, and frankly, generously, because you gave her uh, valuable information. To teasing out the correct answer. 
However, if you wanted to answer without a question mark, a definitive yes or no, the Amazon River is on land. Yes. Because what's at the bottom of the river? Land. (laughs) It's sitting on land. It's sitting in a valley of land. It's moving over the riverbed, which is soggy land. Man. But land. And you can dispute this if you want in the Reddit too. What was the most traumatic, which was more traumatic? I, Claudia, in your childhood, I, Claudius, Watership Down, Wizard of Oz. And how wrong is John Hodgman on this one? Go ahead. I know I'm right. But the fact is he played correctly because by going yes, right. instead of yes, saying yes plainly would be a misdirection to her, a real misdirection. It would be frankly as bad as playing the game and the answer being 20 questions. <laughs> if only she had asked, is it blue on a map? I mean, that's actually what we're kind of thinking about That's a about great here. way. That's but a great way. How uh, how would she know to ask that question? She would not. So I think I think your ruling is correct. Monty, sideshow. Yes. All right. <laughs> a, ma- a maximum fun one-off. A live on Zoom 20 questions competition between you and me. I love it. <laughs> So we'll play three rounds, best two out of three. And then maybe we can figure out a way for viewers to qualify to to try to stump us. Or we could choose in like the comments, like, I'm going to ask this as one of my 20 questions. No, no, I got to figure it out. Don't worry about it. All right. You know how to do this way better than I do. Plot it out in my head. We're going to do this. It's going to be good. All right. Love it. What's the name of the game going to be? 20 questions? 20, 20 questions. 20. And it'll be 20 rounds of 20 questions. <laughs> no. Let's move on. It's only 400 questions. Come up with a name. I want to come up with a name. I'll let everyone know as soon as we can work it out, Monty. This will be a fun thing to do of an evening. Absolutely. With, uh, with, our, with our listeners. All right. Let's move on. A listener named Hannah wrote in about a recent piece of swift justice that was issued. The question was whether or not a book is a device. The court decided that a book is not a device. Yeah, Monty, let, let me read this because obviously I get a lot of pushback on my correct opinions. Mm-hmm. And this was one, and, and I, I normally just say thank you for your input, but I stand by my decision. Yes. But regarding whether or not a book was a device, a lot of people pushed back. A lot of, a lot of bookish people in the audience, which I love. And I start, I read this letter and I started to compose an argument as to why I was still correct, even though Hannah, you will learn, is a historian and publishing scholar who dedicates a lot of her time to trying to convince students that books are a technology like any other. But then I realized, you know what? I'm wrong. Wow. Here's what Hannah, so I'm going to read this for Hannah. I'm a book historian and publishing scholar who dedicates a lot of my time to trying to convince students that books are a technology like any other. The desire to distinguish between electronic gizmos, like e-readers and print books, which was my, that was personally my John Hodgman's dividing line. You wouldn't call a, a book a gizmo, therefore it's not a device. The desire to distinguish between gizmos like e-readers and print books not only leads to all sorts of ableism, 
in, in that it, it seems to degrade ebooks, but also reflects an ahistorical tendency to pretend that books were never themselves new media. In fact, there are many moments in history that suggest how device-like these technologies once were. My favorite example, this is Hannah still, is that of Johannes Fust, the business partner of Johannes Gutenberg. The two Johanneses, they called them. That was me. It was two Johanneses and a baby starring yeah. Johannes Gutenberg. All right, back to Hannah's letter. Johannes Fust loaned a significant amount of money to Gutenberg to fund his printed Bible. Just as the Bible was being completed, Fust brought suit against his business partner and got everything, including the Bibles. Fust then attempted to sell the printed Bibles in Paris as manuscripts. The authorities got wind of these uncannily identical books, and Fust was charged with witchcraft, forcing him to reveal the secret of the Bibles that they were, in fact, newfangled devices, that is to say, mechanically printed books. Some scholars have speculated that Fust was the inspiration for the legend of Dr. Faustus and his quest for limitless knowledge. Given your established preference for historical accuracy over semantic categories, a preference that I don't think is I've established, but anyway, fine. I may want to reconsider whether books are in fact devices, and I do reconsider it. It is a hair that I I splitted, right? That's the best tense of split. Splitted. I splitted that hair, that gizmo versus book hair. I never intended, and I apologize, Hannah, to suggest that books as a physical object were not indeed absolutely historically massively disruptive technology. And they are, you know, they, they are, while device tends to imply in contemporary definitions having an electronic component, which books do not, at least not printed books. You're absolutely right that even though a book is content that we refer to as in, in being readable across many different kinds of devices, the physical thing we call a book is a hinge. It is mechanical. It was an invention. And I apologize. I got it wrong. First, first time in 10 years. First time in 10 years, I think, that I have admitted wrongdoing. See, I'm growing. All very, right. That was very big of you, Judge John Hodgman. Well, it's time for guys who look like me yeah. to listen to the expertise of others and adjust accordingly. Here, so, here. Hannah, thank you for your research. Thank you for that great story about Fust and books being suspected of being the, 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 the tools of witchcraft. Do the laugh now, Monty. Be a witch. <laughs> Ah! Oh, Johannes Fust, you come to haunt me! <laughs> no, I'm Johannes Gutenberg! <laughs> Too many Johanneses. That's it, the docket is clear. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Our producer, of course, is Jennifer Marmer. Woo! Follow us on Twitter. Monty Belmonte is, guess what? At Monty Belmonte. M-O-N-T-E-B-E-L-M-O-N-T-E. Love it. It just rolls off the it's tongue. It's like a cheer. M-O-N-T-E-B-E-L-M-O-N-T-E. <laughs> Less like a cheer. That was better, I thought. And I am at Hodgman. 
H-O-D-G-M-A-N. H-O-D-G-M-A-N. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. Make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets. Hashtag J-J-H-O. And check out the Maximum Fun subreddit to discuss this episode. Remember, remember to talk about which is more dramatic in childhood, Wizard of Oz or Watership Down, and how wrong I was about the other thing. But do not get in that Reddit and complain that I never revealed the best Panino I ever had in my life because I saved it now to the very end. A long time ago. This is also a a story from ancient times. It's it's American Pie. A long, long time ago, I once had a Panino. Oh, no. Sorry. Doubly traumatized. Went into Weird Al territory right there. Which is more traumatic? Wizard of Oz on TV, Watership Down in the movie theater or on VHS cassette, or listening to your dad at some point sing American Pie. Ah! Anyway, it's not an American Pie because, in fact, we were in Venice, Italy, the, the most beautiful city in the world. Have you ever been, Monty? No, I have not. Yeah, well, you can't go. I you can't go. Plane tickets are real cheap right now. Yeah, I can't. You know, you can't go. But I hope that when we forge this new better normal together, part of that new better normal will include finally addressing climate change issues that are currently causing Venice to disappear beneath the ocean forever. But before that happens, near the Peggy Guggenheim Museum, there is a little bar called the corner pub it is in 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 english the name of it is corner pub i mean it it presents itself as an quote-unquote english pub but of course inside it's very italian they have cicchetti cicchetti is the venetian uh bar snack which is often just like a a little piece of lard on a piece of bread or like a a, a toothpick and a huge piece of provolone and with an anchovy on it it's all everything i love it's just mayo grilled yeah no and then then they have panini right and this panino, I'm not going to bury the lead. It did not have mayonnaise on it. Okay. But it was, you know, long bread, mm-hmm. in a panini press with arugula, butter, speck, which is smoked prosciutto. Yes. And hard boiled eggs. Oh my. And boy, was it good. Hmm. So I'm going to make one of those for my dinner tomorrow night, I guess. But now I'm going to leave you and sadly leave you, Jennifer and Monty. It was great seeing your faces. Remember to submit your cases at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO or email me, John Hodgman. The email address is Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Monty, see you again this summertime. Jennifer, see you again. And for the rest of you, I will not see you again because it's a podcast on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.